Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Uh, to get there. Daniel chapter number 9, uh, starting with verse uh, number 1. The Bible states these words in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years, whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face into the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his uh, commandments. Tonight, I want to speak, my, my subject matter this evening is this, the proper response to prophecy. The proper response to prophecy. Uh, we're not going to get into the 70-week scenario this week, but we will later on. That's what chapter 9 is notably known for. But uh, before we get there, I want to talk about our proper response to prophecy. Amen, if you will. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you again, God, for being able to be here, Lord Jesus. Those that have gathered together, I pray, oh Lord, that you would help us open up our minds and our understanding. Strengthen and motivate us, Lord, by your word and by your spirit. I pray, oh God, today, Lord, that you would lodge something, Lord, within our hearts and within our souls. God, we'll be thankful, Lord, and to you for what you accomplish and for what you do, Lord Jesus, in this place tonight, God. Every believer and unbeliever alike, God, that your spirit is able to minister to and touch. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. You may be seated here uh, this evening. Uh, so you just kind of keep your Bibles open to Daniel chapter number 9 and we'll do a little bit of walking there and elsewhere uh, here this evening. But it is in the first verse as uh, the chapters in the book of Daniel sometimes, not always, but sometimes uh, do. And that is it provides for us a little bit of a timeline of events that will take place particularly in this chapter of when things took place. Amen. And that is, it says, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, uh, this particular Darius that it makes mention of. Remember, we've heard of this, this name. Some even don't. It's sometimes a title, Darius, before already in our study in the book of Daniel. But this Darius in particular was the son of Ahasuerus. Now, what's interesting, he is the son of Ahasuerus, and he later has a son, and he names him Ahasuerus. And so you see that not as commonly today as you did many years ago. If somebody in the family was named Joe Bob, they're probably going to have a kid named Joe Bob or a grandma or grandpa with something, then you named your kid like that. But with that being said, whenever we read about a hazardous even in Scripture or Darius or things like this, it can get very confusing because you 
keep your Dariuses straight and keep your Hazaruses straight, uh, so to speak. And it can be very confusing. So this Darius that is speaking of was the son of Ahasuerus, but he also had a son that he named Ahasuerus. And to kind of set things in perspective to know how all this falls into place, the son that he had, that Darius had, that he named Ahasuerus, would eventually become the individual that would marry Queen Esther or would marry Esther and make her queen, I guess would be more properly stated. And so it goes on to say here in the scripture that not only was he the son of Ahasuerus, but he was of the seed of the Medes. And if you will remember and walk back a few chapters with me, back to Daniel chapter number 5, in the closing of that chapter, uh, that chapter is the, the chapter that describes the handwriting on the wall uh, under the, the rulership of Belshazzar and his, his rulership is coming to an end and the Medes and the Persians are taking over the Babylonian Empire there in the end. And if you'll remember in the last verse of Daniel 5, the Bible speaks of Adarius, the Median, who took the kingdom. And so Darius the Mede, he was a Median, was of the seed of Medes, uh, he, he was uncle to a man by the name of, and this is a little repetitive from lessons back, but he was, he was a relative of uncle to a man by the name of Cyrus the Persian. Darius the Mede was uncle to Cyrus the Persian, or that we know historically to be Cyrus the Great. And again, Darius asked for his nephew's help in overtaking Babylon because Cyrus was more of the military-minded man. He was the fighter, and we read in Daniel 5 him getting into Babylon, overtaking Babylon. And so he basically conquered Babylon, but he did it in the name of his uncle Darius. And so he still had other campaigns of fighting to do roundabout. And so as he went, he knew he couldn't be a fit king over this Babylon area. So he set Darius, his uncle, into that place, and he was made king. And that's the reason why Scripture says that Darius the Mede took the kingdom because his nephew overtook it but he took it in the name of Darius and so we have a harmonizing of scripture though in Daniel chapter number 9 when it is speaking of uh, this particular Darius because the Bible speaks he's of the son of Ahasuerus he, he is of the seed of the Medes but it also says that he was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans which is basically over Babylon and the important wording was he was made king and any time that someone has made something that indicates that uh, something was vested in them, a kingship was vested to him, but it was by somebody else. He was made king, and so Cyrus made Darius uh, king. And again, Daniel is not in, we've looked at this, but just to throw nine in there among the, the melting pot here, uh, it's not necessarily in chronological order from beginning to end. We have already seen in our past lessons, but just for review, in Daniel chapter number 4, we read of Nebuchadnezzar who is made like a beast. And then he goes back to taking his throne as Nebuchadnezzar. All right? Then, though, the vision chapters that Daniel had, chapter 7 of, of, of several different uh, beasts and of chapter 8 of the he-goat and the ram that we have already studied, uh, one, chapter 7, happened in the first year of the reign of Belshazzar. Chapter 8 happened in the third year of the reign of Belshazzar. So those come right after number 4 because number 5, again, is the handwriting of the wall. Belshazzar, the finality of his kingdom. 
So if, the, if one happened in the first year and the third year, that had to happen prior to uh, chapter number five. So in chapter five, we had the fall of Belshazzar and the coming then of Darius the Mede, and then falls chapter number nine after chapter number five because he said in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the son of the, uh, the, the, of the seed of Medes, uh, did all of this take place. So, not, so we got... Four, uh, no, you don't number like this, do you? It's four, it's seven, it's eight, it's five, it's nine. And that's where we are. Uh, we also read, though, uh, just for uh, additive, uh, chapter number six, you'll remember, Darius is in control. And he set up some different divisions of the kingdom now. And it's in that chapter that Daniel goes to the lion's den, remember, because of his prayer life. And so chapter number six either happens... At the same time, chapter 9 is happening. It's in that same era of time or maybe uh, even after chapter number 9. But it's right smack dab right along, if there's such a word for here, Southern, smack dab right there along with all the others. And so at this time, to understand where we are in chapter 9, in chapter 9, Daniel's already had both visions, the visions that were in chapter 7 and chapter 8. He's already seen the, the four beasts that came out of the sea. He's seen the ram, the he-goat. He's already seen the little horn that came up among the ten in chapter 7 and this other little horn that came among uh, uh, the, the four divisions of the Grecian kingdom in chapter number 8. He's already seen all of this. For that matter, the kingdom of Babylon has already failed. Amen. The handwriting, all that's already taken place. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, evil Murdoch. We haven't brought his name up in a while, yeah. Evil Murdoch, all, they've already passed off the scene. They have already fallen. And now they're under the control of the Medo-Persian Empire. And so that's where Daniel is at right now, under the control of the Medo-Persian Empire. So he has all of this as some history to look back to here at chapter number 9. And Daniel's life, really... Uh, for the past several chapters, and even for a good majority of the entirety of his life here, uh, he has been consumed. Think about Daniel's life for a moment. He has been consumed with either hearing dreams, asking God to reveal a dream to him, interpret a dream, having his own visions, asking for the interpretation of those visions, some which came from angels, others from Gabriel. His life has been consumed with visions and dreams and interpretations of all these events, some of which that were going to come upon the Gentile people, some of which were going to come upon his people, the Jews, and affect the blessed city of Jerusalem. So this is Daniel's life. Can you imagine? Man, it must have been quite exciting uh, for all of this to take place. However, at, toward the end of chapter number 8, even the last couple of verses of chapter number 8, it ended... If you'll remember, and you're so close right there, and Daniel, you didn't even look back at those last couple of verses of chapter number 8. It ends with Daniel being somewhat troubled. Uh, he's troubled, he's overwhelmed with what he saw, with what he witnessed in Daniel chapter number 8. The Bible plainly says that he fainted and was sick certain days. Because everything that he saw, everything that he witnessed, the interpretation that had come, Man, it was just overwhelming. It was quite a burden for him to bear. And so he was almost sick with all the, the information. Some of you say, I feel like that every Wednesday night. <laughs> Amen. But he was sick for certain days uh, with everything that he had experienced. And he was astonished, the Bible said, uh, by what he had learned. And everything that he had seen and heard and interpreted had a very great impact on Daniel's life. 
I think that's important to denote. He wasn't just like some facet out here that was outside looking in. This concerned him. This concerned his people. This had a great impact upon him. And after a few days, the Bible says, after being sick for certain days, he rose up and then went about uh, the king's business. And I would say this evening, probably um, the testimony for some, and maybe not all, but I would say the testimony for some around here is this, that there is a certain aspect about prophecy that is troubling. I know at least this is the way I... I I gather it seems like sometimes whenever you talk to people and the idea of prophecy and end times is brought up, it's like, ooh, don't talk about that. I don't want to hear that. You know, let's change the subject. And sometimes it's troubling. Daniel even admitted, if we go back to chapter number 7, in the close of chapter number 7, he said that the vision and the interpretations that he had in chapter 7, he said, it troubled me. He even said, my countenance was changed in me. Instead of the brightness of his countenance, if it was going to be changed to him, my guess is this, is that he got a little pale. <laughs> it changed him whenever he heard, and listen now, whenever he heard what was still yet to come. Whenever he began to hear about these prophecies, amen, how it would affect his people and maybe even he himself, he was troubled about it. And so we now, and have been for some time, and we will until the Lord comes back, are talking about some future events. And we are talking about prophecy. And that sometimes presents trouble <laughs> or troubling feelings for people for different reasons. It sometimes just brings that idea, you know, just kind of, man, that troubles me. You've been talking about this for 14, however, 15, 16, I don't know how many, but it's been a long time. I've been talking about this a long time. I go home sometimes at night and I'm a little troubled. Now, what we got to get at the core is this. Why are you troubled? Why are you troubled? Because there are different reasons why you may be troubled whenever you talk about prophecy or things still yet to come or in time. Number one, some people may feel troubled and uneasy whenever you talk about those things because through uh, you talking about that, that might heighten the realization that maybe they're not ready to meet their maker. Some people might be troubled when you talk about what's going to happen because they realize that you've not made preparations for that. So you feel troubled about that. Others may feel troubled because, yes, they're in the church. Yes, they're a child of God. But right now, their relationship is in such a fashion that they may be jeopardizing their relationship with God. You know, if you talk to, you know, it's like if you talked to me about this three, three months ago, no problem but but see there's been some things that's kind of arisen in my life and I've kind of fell short and I've kind of become a little unfaithful in a few areas and you bringing that up and that just doesn't yeah I don't want no trumpet to sound tomorrow so there can be a troubling that's associated whenever you, you, you are in a place that you may be jeopardizing your relationship with God but there are other people that may be troubled where they hear this they're in the church everything is fine but they're troubled because they are not just considering themselves they're considering the overall panorama of all of humanity through the scope of what is to come they consider a world you know we live in a society uh, by and large now there's shamelessness no shame you know, Adam and Eve in the garden, they were naked and not ashamed. But whenever they transgressed, they sinned, 
They were then shameful over their nakedness. Sin should bring with it a certain element of shamefulness. But we have grown accustomed to ignore that in the world today that we're shameless. Do what I want, when I want, how I want. No shame. They live life with with abandon. Most of society does. Just do whatever you want to do. And so some are troubled because whenever you start taking in uh, consideration loved ones, brothers, sisters, mom, dads, uncles, aunts, that are not prepared for that which is spoken of that is to come. Troubles me. That's where we sing the old song, we cry, wait a little longer. Please, Jesus. There are so many wandering out in sin. So we got to ask our question. When we talk about prophecy, we talk about end times, you need to ask yourself the question, if you are troubled, if that troubles you to a certain extent, why are you troubled? Because you need to know. Am I troubled because I'm concerned about the world and other family members and co-workers? Am I troubled because I'm not where I need to be? Am I troubled because I haven't made preparations? According, uh, back to, uh, according to a thing called Pew Research, it's a, it's a website and a publication, Pew Research, back in October of 2013, uh, they took a, a survey and they denoted back then at 2013 of October that nearly half of the United States Christians believe Jesus will return in the next 40 years. 40. Half. Half of the United States Christians believe that Jesus will return in the next 40 years. Now consider this, folks. Now, if that belief that he will return in the next 40 years, if that's based upon biblical prophecy, all right, if that's based upon them taking a pulse, as we've been doing here, and considering the times and the seasons, that we, we, no man knows the day or the hour, but he has given us indications of times and seasons. And in chapter 9, we're going to get a little bit more a detail concerning some of those. But times and seasons of the second coming, then the question is this. What should we do with the information that we learn concerning that which is to come with the knowledge that we obtain? What should we be doing with this information? Individually? And collectively as a church, if we as a, as a country overall are saying that the Lord is probably going to come back in the next 40 years, then what should we be doing as a church and what should we be doing as individuals with what we know about biblical prophecy and about what is to come? Now, there's always going to be scoffers. Peter spoke of it, and allow you time to get there. Here we go. Second Peter chapter number 3. I'm going to read several verses of Scripture from there. But Second Peter chapter number 3, and we'll start with verse number 3. They had them in their day because some were under the false idea that Christ had already come back the second time. And he combats that in Thessalonians. And there's also, though, uh, a group of people that thought they've always been talking about this. It's never going to happen. That's even the type of society we're dealing with today. And it doesn't just in the world, it's in the church. There's always going to be scoffers. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 3, the Bible says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, here's the question, where is the promise of his coming? In other words, they could go all the way back to Daniel. They said he was coming. 
Where is the promise? Where is the fruition? Where is this all coming about? For since the fathers fell asleep, what are you talking about? I'm talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the old patriarchs. Since the fathers fell asleep, they said, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, verse 6, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. In other words, they said that since the Father, since ancient of days, since even creation, the beginning of time, all things have continued as they were. There's nothing that's changed. There's nothing that's come together to bring about the promise of the second coming. And the Peter, he speaks up and says, hey, these guys are ignorant. They're ignorant. Now, ignorance is nothing more but a lack of knowledge. He said, they're ignorant. He said, for one thing, he said, the first heaven and the first earth, <laughs> this first earth particularly, has already been destroyed by water, by the flood. Noah built an ark. It's already been overflowed. It perished. And there was an earth that was replenished and refreshed and rejuvenated after that. And he says in verse 7, But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment. Speaking of the second coming of Christ when he'll set up his millennial reign. The earth was, uh, if you will, purified the first time by water. The second time it's going to be by fire. He said, again, it's been reserved. It's being reserved. It's being stored. It's being kept until that day for that, against the day of judgment and the perdition of, of ungodly men. And so here is the answer, folks, for us. They doubted then, all right? They doubted his, not only that, they doubted his first coming. And as they doubted their first coming, many going to doubt his second coming. But all things have not continued as they were. That's just ignorance. That's a lack of knowledge. But you and I, over the past several weeks, have been obtaining some knowledge concerning last things, future things. And so we have a responsibility. What do we do with this knowledge concerning prophecy? We need to be educating some people. We need to be educating some people. If you're troubled because it's family members, you need to educate them. And I'm not saying be mean and brash. I'm saying, though, you need to every once in a while throw in something whenever something happened in the world and say, yeah, the Bible talks about that. You need to educate them. All things have not continued as they are. And there's going to arise after this, this world is destroyed by fire. There's going to arise a new heaven and a new earth. Scripture says, well, there'll be eternal domain. So what should we do with this knowledge? The Apostle Paul, I believe, had an appropriate reaction in 2 Corinthians 5. And you go and turn there because I'll have a few verses. But in, the Apostle Paul reacted appropriately in 2 Corinthians 5. In that, that chapter, he, he is pondering heaven. He's pondering earthly things and he's pondering heavenly things. And it doesn't take long when you start pondering both those things to very quickly just shift totally to heavenly. I'm telling you right now. But he's beginning to think about heavenly things. And he's even considering uh, these bodies that you and I live in. And he makes those statements how whenever you are considered at home in this body that you are absent from the Lord. But whenever you are absent from the body, he says is to be present 
with the Lord. And so he's considering all these things. And Paul sums it up. I love it when he says this. He basically says either way, whether you're absent or whether you're present, in other words, whether you're present or absent in this body, he says we should want to be acceptable unto God. That's what Paul says. He says if I'm, it's not just being acceptable whenever I die. It's being acceptable while I still live. Because who knows when you're going to die? You have an appointment. The date's not circled on your calendar, but you have an appointment. But Paul says, hey, I'm not looking at being acceptable just in death. I want to be acceptable in my life. Mm-hmm. That's right. I want, I want to live with the end in view right now. And he goes on to say, now look, here's where I need to be. Verse number 10, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. He says, for we must all appear... This is true. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Everybody's going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. doesn't matter who you are. We all will. All is all. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done. Look, whether it be good or bad. Good or bad. Now look now. Look at 11. Here's Paul's appropriate response. He says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. What are you talking about? Paul he says I know some of the last things that are going to come I know some of the things that's going to come up on the world I know that God is a just judge and he judges righteously but he's going to judge and just as much if you've been overwhelmed by the love of God in this life and he's so loved gracious and merciful and he is to the opposite extreme whenever it comes time for a day of judgment he will be to the same degree judging as he is loving now all right and so Paul says, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, he says, this is my response. Since I know what I know, since I know what is to come, since I know all the unfolding of the, the events, this is, my, this is my response. He says, we persuade men. Paul says, because I know the terror of the Lord that's approaching. He says, I'm not sitting there with my arms folded and my mouth closed and keeping all this good stuff all to myself. No, 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 no. I'm trying to use that as a persuasive tool toward men and women that may be ignorant, that may not know about what is to come. He says, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. Paul felt compelled. Paul, Paul felt compelled to persuade men because he knew God was going to judge his people according to their deeds, whether they be good or whether they be bad. Amen. He knew what was coming. He had all of the Old Testament to his, his, his hands to be able... I mean, he was a student of the Word. He wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament Scripture. He knew what he had talked about end times in Thessalonians. He talked about it at different places understand he knew what was going to take place and he said you know what I, I, I feel my response is this I got all of this what do I do with it I got to make it my business to let people know there is a way of escape there is a way to get on the good side of God amen there's a way to escape some of this destructive path that is to come now there's some things we're all going to go through but there's some things we don't have to go through And so as a church, it's incumbent upon us as individuals, it's important for us to take what we have learned here and allow it to provoke us, if you will, to persuade men. 
And with that being said, let's look then at chapter 9 how Daniel responds. Because what's happening right here in the beginning of Daniel 9, Daniel is receiving some newfound knowledge from Scripture. If I may say it a little bit more detailed, Daniel is learning something new in prophecy. And he is then going to respond to that newfound information of prophecy that he gets here in the beginning of Daniel chapter number 9. And so we're going to see how Daniel responded. Well, I thought he was the prophet. That's right. He's not the only prophet. <laughs> God uses a plethora of people. Amen. But he says here in Daniel 2 and verse, Daniel 9 and verse number 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years. Where the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Now, he says, I, Daniel, understood by books. That's what we read in our English Bibles. In the Hebrew, it is not so. In the Hebrew, it is, I, Daniel, understood by the books. That little definitive article, the, is there. Not meaning just some books, any old books, but the Books, the books, namely the portions of the scripture that had been recorded, amen, by Jeremiah. He even makes mention who? By Jeremiah, the writings of Jeremiah. Uh, throughout the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah at different times has written several different pieces of scripture. Sometimes he had it dictated uh, to one of his servants. But we see throughout Jeremiah, somewhere along the way, some of that stuff even got ripped up, tore up, uh, destroyed. But we see later in the book of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 29, that, that these words were recorded and sent out to the captives that were already in Babylon. All right? Jeremiah 29 and verse number 1. Just to, just, uh, it's, it's me again, Lord, here I am. I just use scripture to, to kind of correspond with what we're talking about here. Jeremiah 29 and 1. Notice what Jeremiah writes here. He said, now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which were carried away captives to the priest, and to the prophets, to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. So what happens here, Jeremiah has been a prophet telling them Jerusalem's not going to stand. That's what he told them. Get ready, it's not going to happen. There was false prophets said, you don't have to worry, Jerusalem's going to be all... They were lying. Amen, but he was telling them, Jerusalem's not going to stand, you're going to be taken away to captivity. Well, he had written all these things down, written all the details concerning it, and he sent them from Jerusalem, where he was remaining at for the time, to Babylon, where people had already been taken away. For instance, Daniel. Already was, there was about three deportations if you were to call it transfers from Jerusalem to Babylon Daniel was in the first he's already there he, so he's sending if you will the book of Jeremiah if I, if I can say it like this he was sending the book of Jeremiah on to the captives that were in Babylon and so Daniel is reading in the books he has more than just Jeremiah he has no doubt the first five books of the Bible the law so on and so forth but he's reading the books particularly Jeremiah and as he's reading this, he says, I, Daniel, understood in the books the number of years. The number of years. That is, that 70 years Jerusalem would be desolate. Now, folks, again, we have this advantage of all the Scripture at our disposal. This is not the case with Daniel. Read your Bible and look at it. 
There is never any indication that Daniel ever knew about the 70-year time period prior to this moment. You hear me? He's in captivity, and he's in this captivity not knowing how long he's going to be here. There's no indication that he ever knew it, but he reads about it in Jeremiah through the prophet. If we may, Jeremiah 25, verses 11 through 12. He could read of it there. But the Bible says, and this whole land, Jeremiah 25, verse 11, and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished, that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation saith the Lord for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldees and will make it perpetual desolations. Now, do you realize how lightning this is to Daniel? Now, Daniel has had some of his own visions. He's interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's in chapter 2 of this statue. He knows that Babylon's going to pass on and Medo-Persia's going to come and it happened in his lifetime. But he didn't know the timing. If you'll notice in Daniel, up until this moment, what we see a lot of, he knows the process. He knows the succession of this kingdom, then it's going to be this kingdom and this kingdom, but he doesn't know much about timing. Mm-hmm. Don't know much about timing. In Jeremiah 29, where it said that Jeremiah sent that, 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 those words or that manuscript uh, to the captives, further down in verse number 10, this is part of what he sent to them. So we know for sure Daniel got this from that. In, Daniel, in Jeremiah 29 in verse 10, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. So Jeremiah had sent that to the captives. They didn't know how long they was going to be there. But they do now because they have the words of the prophecies of Jeremiah. Their stay in Babylon was going to be long enough. Jeremiah told him, I don't know how encouraging this was. Don't think this is going to be overnight stay, guys. Of course, by the time the scripture gets there, it no doubt was. But he says, go on and build houses and live in them. He admonishes in Jeremiah 29. Uh, plant vineyards, eat from them. He says, don't keep your children from marrying other Israelites over there. He says, because it's going to be a while. <laughs> let them marry. They're going to be beyond the flower of their youth. If you wait, go on, let them marry. Let them go on and have children over there. Do all this because you're going to be there long enough to, for all that to happen and take place. Amen. But in the process of all that, he gives them a definite number of years that the desolation would take place and stay up on Jerusalem. He gives them the number 70 years. Again, Daniel is a little oblivious to all this up to this time. He knew Medo-Persia was going to come, and he, he knew this Gentile rule was going to happen under Medo-Persia, under Greece, and under Rome, but he didn't know a number of years or whenever this was going to pass off until now. So Daniel, he's a prophet in many respects. He's interpreted dreams. He's interpreted uh, visions, if you will. Amen. But note... Although he was a prophet in his own respect, look what Daniel's response is. This did not exclude him because he got this from reading the scriptures, from reading the books, from reading Jeremiah. Although he was a prophet in his own right, it did not exclude him from reading the word of God. This is a very notable man, Daniel is. 
for that matter, among his colleagues, if you remember in Daniel 6, prior to being thrown to the lion's den, you remember the, the, his other colleagues, the other princes were looking to find some fault or some occasion against Daniel. And the Bible plainly tells us they could find no occasion, no fault in Daniel. And so what do they do? They use his faithfulness, amen, to God, his faithfulness of prayer against him. And so we're talking about, man, we're talking about a character, Daniel, that is flying pretty right now. He's flying pretty good, and, and he has a pure character, yet he's a reader and a studier of the Scriptures. And whenever I ingest that in my life and understand that, the light bulb goes off in my head and think if Daniel was a student of the Word and they couldn't find fault or occasion of fault with him, how much more so should we be a student of the Word? And listen, and if Daniel learned something he did not know before by reading the Word, they know it was going to be 70 years. How much more could I learn if I just invest myself in this same word? There is not a spot that any of us reach. Prophet, apostle, teacher, pastor, bus driver, whatever you want to label yourself. There's not a spot any of us reach that would exempt us from being a reader and a studier of God's word nor would we ever reach a point where we would never pick it up and still yet learn something else so here, here's Daniel he's in the midst of captivity and the answer for the number of years it was it would be contained right there in the word of God that he was reading now we all there's Let's consider this. Daniel's in captivity. The answer for how long he's going to be there was in the word he read. Daniel had a situation going on in his own life. The answer for how long the situation was going to happen was right there in the word of God he read. He would have just been meandering and not knowing and just faithfully dependent on God if he never read the word. And it wouldn't given him some hope because whenever he read that, in the time scheme of everything, according to what deportation you want to go off of, he had at least two years or if a little bit more left in captivity at the time he read that. Now you realize what type of hope that would stoke in his soul to find out it's 70 years? Modern day application, folks, there's some situations and circumstances we walk through presently that many of the answers and some of the ins or outs are found in his word if we just pick it up, read it, consider it, and it might give you hope in a present hopeless situation. Consult his word. It might be a year before I get around to it. Amen. Consult his word. Amen. You'll find an answer there if you read it and if you study it. So he learned about this 70-year time period. It's important to him. It's important to his state of mind. I've been visions, dreams, interpretations, all this stuff. Amen. The rest of the chapter, it's important. That 70-year time frame, learning that, it's important to the rest of this chapter. Again, 
uh, there were three different deportations. Daniel was in the first. There was a second one that came a little later. Ezekiel was a part of it with 10,000, about 10,000 captives that went with him. There was a third deportation on that one. Uh, the city of Jerusalem was totally destroyed. The temple was burned. The walls of the city were destroyed. And so all according to when you want to reckon the beginning of the captivity with the first deportation, second or third, or according where you want to start it at. And people have their opinions, okay? We're not going into that tonight. Just everybody has their opinion. But according to where it really starts will depend on when the 70-year ends. And again, if it started with when Daniel went, he only then had about a couple years left, amen, in his captivity. You realize what that could have done to Daniel? Ding dong, this is almost over. That wouldn't be great to know whenever your trial was going to end. Uh-huh. Imagine what this Daniel's saying, this thing is almost over. But there's a little turmoil and struggle in the life of Daniel because he did the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar back in chapter 2. He's had his own visions in chapter 7 and 8. And in all of this, you know, there was the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, the Roman Empire, and there's these ten horns and there's all this stuff. Daniel just kind of still yet, he knows this 70 years of captivity is going to end, but does that mean all of this is going to take place before the end? So you see, there's still some unanswered questions for Daniel. So again, in the dreams and visions, the only thing that Daniel was given was a succession of kingdoms, but never seemingly a good particular timing. And so without timing, Daniel could have thought that maybe some of those other kingdoms like Greece and Rome needed to pass on the scene before the desolation was over. And just thinking. But now he knows it's, it's 70 years, so it's around the corner. So all that's either going to happen fast or all of that's not happening within the 70-year time frame. You understand what's happening here with prophecy. Because whenever that's given to him, all these things would take place. He didn't know if that was for the next 10 years or the next 2,500 years. Now, we do from our standpoint, but not Daniel. And so the Bible says in Daniel 9 and verse 3, he gets all this information, 70 years, so he, he has some more prophecy, because that's what Jeremiah was at 70 years. That was prophecy for Daniel. He got some more prophecy, and so he got that by reading the Word. He got some more prophecy, and here's Daniel's response. I love it. I know this isn't real prophetic tonight, but you're all right. He said in verse number 3, this is his response to it. I set my face unto the Lord God, in verse 3, to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel's reaction to what he learned of in the Word of God, particularly to the prophecy of the Word of God, is very noteworthy. You know what Daniel did with the prophecy he learned about? He prayed about it. He prayed about it. The Bible says that he set his face. Whenever you set something, that means you have control over it. Honey, go set the clock. You tell your child to set still. You're supposed to have control over it. Whenever you set something, you have control over it. He set his face to prayer. We got control over it. He set his face to prayer. And Daniel is praying about his situation. He's praying about those things that are yet to come. Amen. Now, here's the wonderful thing. And Daniel, if you look at Daniel, Daniel right here, the prayer of Daniel lasts for several, several verses. The prayer begins in verse number four. It lasts all the way to verse number 19. 
You want a prayer to study? Study the prayer of Daniel. But the amazing thing that we see time and time again right here in chapter number 9 of Daniel is this. We see a coupling then of reading and studying the Word of God coupled with praying. Again, if that is needful in the life of a highly regarded prophet of God, it is needful for my very own life. Daniel's earlier reading of the prophecy compelled him to pray. Daniel's earlier reading of the word compelled him to pray. And if I might say, this should be our response to prophecies we are studying today, and to even the Bible reading today, things that we read in God's word should compel us to pray. Bishop has said it for years. If there's ever a breakdown in the reading of the word and prayer, it's because one or the other is suffering, he'll take the other with it. God's word will compel you to pray. Prayer will compel you to God's word. They go, they go arm and arm. Now look at this. Daniel couples some other things with his prayer. This is his response to what he's learned. His response to the prophecy that he has just heard that he didn't have knowledge of. Along with his prayer, he brought some supplications. That, that's some particular detailed uh, prayers and, and things before God. He accompanied with that fastings. Amen. He accompanied with that fastings and he said with his sackcloth and his ashes all that means whenever they had sackcloth and ashes on there was a spirit of humility that was humility that was abasing themselves he didn't approach the lord egotistical or prideful he approached him with a humble humble spirit now look daniel starts out in verse number four with his prayer amen you see in verse number four he said i prayed unto the lord my god and made my confession the first thing that Daniel does in his prayer is not starting to say, God, what about this 70-year thing? What's going to happen? I need this. And here's my scroll. It rolls down the aisle. No, 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 no. Daniel's first act of response is prayer, but the first response in his prayer, he made his confession. A guy that humans could not find any occasion or fault with he knew though God still could because none of us stand flawless although we may among our peers we don't among God and so he's not like well I'm skipping all that I'm skipping over this because I'm accepted among my peers let me tell you just to be accepted among your peers is a low rung on the ladder <laughs> mm -hmm. amen well, someone say glory. glory. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so we're doing all right. Everybody's doing fine. It's, it, we didn't have a, you know, we got plenty of time. Let's go. And so whenever he does this, he makes his confession. But then look what he does. He switches in verse number five. And he starts with this terminology. We have sinned and committed iniquity. What's he doing here? Daniel switches to making his confession. Now he enters into a mode of intercessory prayer. Because intercessory prayer isn't just about me. It's about we. Uh-huh. It's not just about myself. It's about, it's about us. And so whenever you do that, you just talk in those terminology. We have sinned. Who? Him, the nation of Israel, the Jews. How do you do that for us? Because it's not just us. Sometimes I talk about us collectively as a church to God. Uh-huh. God, this is where we are. And look what the scripture says. He says, we have sinned, committed iniquity, verse five, done wickedly, rebelled, we've departed 
from precepts, your precepts, God. Your judgments. Look at six. He says, we've not hearkened to the servants of prophets, namely Jeremiah. <laughs> Nobody was listening to Jeremiah. Throw him in a prison, put him in a pit, do whatever you got to do. Silence him. What he's saying is not true. It was true. They weren't hearkening. So we've not listened to the prophets that spake to our kings and to our princes and to our fathers and to all of these people. We all heard it. But we, we. So, so his response to all these things, it's prayer, yes, for his own confession, but then he went beyond that with intercessory prayer concerning all of his people. And I admonish you, we need to do that as a church. Individually in our prayer time, we need to take us as our church to God in prayer and say, God, this is where our pitfalls are as a church. Not just one person identifying that. You can take a pulse of the church and realize some things and you don't have to exploit them on the bulletin board but you can take them to God as God our church Daniel's a model prayer he's a model prayer because he doesn't start out asking God for anything he doesn't ask for God to do anything he doesn't come out of the gate like that asking or Commanding that some people say command, commanding God or asking God to do anything until he has thoroughly detailed. Could I say detailed thoroughly? Those words kind of work together. Detailed thoroughly. Gave a thorough confession himself. A detailed confession himself and of his people. He was, he understood the dynamics well. Where do I stand asking God for anything or to do anything if I won't be honest with Him about where I'm at in relationship to Him? Because if I do that, then God, I want you to do for me where I am right now and where I am right now is not in harmony with you. So I want you to bless me being out of joint with you. Daniel has a model prayer. He's going to, and he spends, you can look, folks, starting in verse 4, and he's going through all this confession and repentance on and on and on, and all the way down till verse 16 before he ever starts asking for anything. Why? He's going to be thorough in his repentance. He's going to be thorough in his confession, not just as an individual, but for his people. That's good for us. God, help me, Lord, to be thorough in my repentance individually and also my confession as the church overall before I start asking for individual things and before I start asking for you to do something for the church. It works the same. Before we start asking Him to do something for the church, maybe there's some things we need to confess and repent over where the church is in misalignment with God. Uh-huh. Then it says, my response uh, to this prophecy and everything, I'm going to get things right with God. Because evidently, we're going to be able to go back and build Jerusalem again. And something's going to happen here. And there's an opportunity open before us. But if we don't have things right, I'm convinced that something else could set us back a few years. And indeed, there were some troublesome times like that in the near future for them yet again. In verse 16, he starts with his request. And his request, look what he says. He is so... Man, he's got this prayer thing down. Maybe it's because he did it three times a day, even in a land when they said, don't do it. <laughs> his location wasn't uh, very very uh, adequate and accommodating it but he did it anyway 
And maybe that's the reason why he got so good at this. Because whenever he starts his request, notice in verse 16 or verse number 17, 16, he starts his request. But in verse number 17, he basically says, you know, Lord, I'm requesting this and I'm asking you for to hear my prayer and all of this for the Lord's sake. <gasps> In other words, they were saying, I'm not, I don't have no dog in this fight. I'm not doing this for anything of self. For the Lord's sake, hear our prayer. And verse number 18, he says, God, I'm asking all this. If you would do this, if you'd so kindly consider this. He said, because of your, your great mercies, for thy great mercies. God, this is all about you. Uh-huh. This is for your great mercies. And not any merit of my own, but this is all about God. And so, you know, Lord... Go on and give us back our blessed city, Jerusalem, that's lie desolate for your sake. Because we're your people and that's our city and that would shine real well upon you if we were flourishing and doing what for the Lord's sake. And I go, Lord, God, would you save some of my lost family members for your sake? Because you said it's not your will that any should be. You understand what I'm saying? Because of your great mercies. And so he's, he's asking him some things. In verse number 16, he asked him to turn away his anger and his fury. In verse number 17, he asked him to hear the prayer that he was praying. In verse number 17, he asked him, he said, Lord, let your face shine on. Look what he says. He didn't say my sanctuary or our sanctuary. He says, your sanctuary. He said, we got in trouble before trying to make your sanctuary our sanctuary. He says, it's yours. In New Testament scripture, they got in trouble as Jesus stood on the mountain. He wept over Jerusalem. said, all times I gather thee as a hen would gather its brood under its wings, but ye would not. He said, you're going to be left to yourself desolate. He said, your house, what happened? God's house had become their house. And whenever it becomes strictly just our house, we'll do things that we want to do. Rather than what God would have done, he said, because you've taken this thing and you've made it a den of thieves, and I've said for it to be a house of prayer. Den of thieves, that's your house. House of prayer, that's my house. And so Daniel says, hey Lord, he said, let your face shine on your sanctuary. This, this sanctuary is yours. This Jerusalem blessed city, it's yours. We are your people. No ownership involved here, God. We're yours. He says in verse 18, incline thy ear here, open your eyes. That's fine, there's nothing wrong in that. In verse number 19, look at he says. He says, oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, hearken and do. Defer not. In other words, delay not. Now, but I'm why we've done this tonight. The proper response, the proper response to prophecy. Well, we need to we need to compel men, amen. As as Peter did, uh, I believe the proper response is prayer. As Daniel took this new information, because see, most people there'd be a lot of people to come to chapter number nine in this study, like we've been doing. They would skip all of Daniel's prayer and go to verses 24 through 27, which concentrate upon the 70 weeks. Where there's a lot of, there can be a lot of discussion, even perhaps some debate that could take place right there. A lot of people go right there. But listen, verses 24 through 27 are nothing more but an answer to Daniel's more lengthy part of Scripture of prayer. Someone hear me right now? There are only, there are only about what, four verses here? Four verses there that concern the 70 weeks. That's the answer to the prayer that Daniel prayed. And the prayer that he prayed was 16 verses. Now, if we're going off proportionally, what do you think is most important? The answer or how they got it? Prayer. Mm -hmm. Daniel had all these succession of kingdoms. He knew it according to the visions that God just seemingly free willingly gave him. But the answer for the timing came when he prayed. 
got a, got a little bit more clearer whenever he prayed. I like what John MacArthur said. He said this. He said, prophecy is important, but it cannot substitute for prayer. He said, God never calls us to be so speculative and so attracted to the future that we lose sight of the present for praying. Why? Because people, what's going to happen? That's what everybody wants to know about. New converts, people in the world, people in the church. Everybody wants to know what's, what's going to happen. What's going to happen? What does that mean? What does that happen? That's fine. That's grand. Look, maybe my question back for now on should be when they ask, what's going to take place is, are you praying? Amen. Y'all doing all right? You're looking good. You're looking good. Now look now. Daniel's praying. He's prayed for these, how many did I say? 16 verses. And it appears in verse number nine, 20, rather. It appears in verse number 20 as though he would have continued beyond verse number 19. I don't know how much time it took to pray those 16 verses. I didn't sit down today and go through and praying them to see. I mean, he might have had a few in there. I don't know, you know. Or he might have been a slow talker, so it took him longer. I don't know. But nevertheless, it appears in verse number 20 that he would have continued beyond verse 19 in his prayer, but he was interrupted by an angel of the Lord called Gabriel. The Bible says both in verses 20 and 21, Daniel records, he says, whilst I was speaking and praying, in verse 20 and verse 21, whilst I was speaking in prayer, the angel of the Lord from the heavenly place came down and visited Daniel. Woo! Hallelujah. Wouldn't it be great to pray until a visitation of heaven came? Hmm? Wouldn't that be awesome? Say, Lord, I was going to continue, but whoop, wait a minute. I just, the Bible says that the angel touched him. Now look, Daniel's been praying, and for the greatest portion of his prayer, he's been confessing. Son, he's been laying it all out on the line. Now, he didn't put it on Facebook or Twitter. But he's been putting it all on the social media for God. You know, he's got this God connect here. He's putting it all before the Lord. He's been doing a lot of praying, particularly repenting in particular, and in the midst of all of that, the angel of the Lord shows up, and it touches him. The Bible then says, look at the scriptures there, verse 21, 22, 23. He, he, the angel touched him. The angel, if you look in verse 22, informed him. The angel talked with him. Now listen, this is, I don't know why the angel had to touch him, but this is just me. I believe Daniel was so involved in prayer, so locked in, that the heavenly visitor had to come and actually get his attention. He was so shut in with God in his secret place. The angel had said, hey, buddy, I'm from heaven. <laughs> I want to talk to you about some things. I got some information for you. I want to talk to you. Can you imagine? My God, if collectively and individually... We take what we know about prophecy, we take that to prayer because we know these things are going to come and we get so shutting with God and praying and confessing and repenting to him that the angel of the Lord comes down and has got to interrupt our prayer and say, hey, wait a minute, I got something to share with you. I got something to talk with you about. And look, the results of prayer. Some of the things that happen there, I believe, are the results of prayer. Some of the results of prayer is the heavenly touch. He got informed from heaven. I'm not talking about some peer. 
or Newsweek magazine or some newfangled book that you read. No, I'm talking about heaven came down. You don't get any better information than when heaven gives it. Heaven informed him. The angel was talking to him. Look, this happens because he prayed and he was honest about his mistakes. Mm-hmm. And repented before God. Furthermore, the scripture says, given unto Daniel was skill and understanding. All of this resulting from prayer. A touch, informed, talked to, and given something. Whew. I tell you what, what I'm going to do with these prophecy things with me. I'm going to take God to prayer. <laughs> I could handle a touch. I could handle some information. I could handle being talked to. And honey, if he has anything to give, put me on the receiving list. I won't hold you much longer. All right. It's spring break. We don't have school. Don't give me that. We don't have school tomorrow. Someone says, I got work, though. It's not spring break at work. (laughs) Notice what Daniel says in verse number 21 there toward the close. He says, Daniel was touched about the time of the evening oblation. Oblation is just a fancy word for sacrifice. About the time of the evening oblation. Now, reason here with me for a moment, folks. Daniel's prayer clock was set. He prayed three times a day. His prayer clock was set. Now, reason with me. He said, the angel touched me about the time of the evening sacrifice, the evening oblation. Where's Daniel right now? Where is he? Where's he located? He's a captive, isn't he? Yeah, he, he, he's in captivity. He's in captivity. There's not a godly temple over there in captivity. There isn't or has been for the past almost 70 years any morning and evening sacrifices. He's in this captivity. However, back in his homeland, Jerusalem, they had the morning and the evening sacrifice. And those happened to correspond with prayer times. Prayer times in the morning, sacrifice. Prayer time in the evening, sacrifice. And Daniel, although he wasn't home, he was in Babylon, no temple, no sacrifices being made. The only thing he could correlate the touch with is that it was at the time. What's Daniel doing? Praying. He says it's at the time of the evening sacrifice. Prayer always coincided the evening sacrifice. We don't have an animal right here. He said, but I'm not going to allow where I'm located. I'm not going to allow where I'm located to affect my daily prayer life. I'm not going to allow where I'm located to affect my daily prayer life. That's a hard pill to swallow. That is a very hard pill to swallow. What's that mean? I mean, when you're not at home and you're somewhere else, you can still pray. It means when you're, when you're gone here or there and you may be gone a week somewhere else you're not at home that you can still have a time, a prayer. And so Gabriel came according to Daniel around the evening sacrifice. I'll read this last verse and I'll come to a close. Daniel 9 and verse 23, it says, the angel, at the beginning, he's talking to Daniel, at the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth. And I am come to shew thee. For thou art greatly beloved. 
Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. The angel says, whenever you started your supplications and you started your prayer, the commandment was given for me to go, for me to come forth to where you are. With what? With a touch. With some information to talk to you, to give you skill, to inform when you started praying. He said the commandment was for me to go. And the awesome responsibility is this. He says, I am come to shew thee for or because of why thou art greatly beloved. Isn't that awesome? The angel says, I'm here informing you right now. Not any merit of your own. But God loves you so much. God loves you so much. That's the reason why I'm here with the information. That's the reason. That's the true reason why I'm here. God loves you so much. The old song uh, that we sing around here stands true. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. And he does tonight, folks. If you'll stand with me this evening. The proper response to prophecy then is this. This is how Daniel responded. He knew it was there because he read the word, but he responded with prayer. He responded with supplications, with fastings. He responded with confession, with repentance, individually and collectively, intercessory prayer. We can also respond, I believe, as um, the apostle, as Peter responded, and he says, hey, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, he says, we persuade, we persuade men. So I'm asking you tonight, what are you going to do, even at this moment, with what we've already learned at this stage, with what we know is coming? What are you going to do with that? Is it troubling you? If you're being troubled, why are you being troubled? Is there some realignment maybe that needs to happen? Or is it because you're concerned about people that are in just arm's distance of you every day that are ignorant, that lack the knowledge that this turning of events are going to take place? He said more than one time whenever he gave those visions, he says they are true. It's going to happen. Be just as I said, just as it was written. I ask you, if you've not read Daniel chapter number 9, do so. Read Daniel's prayer. Consider this week that model prayer. Look at everything he spoke about. I mean, he was very detailed in demarking some of their failures. It wasn't one of these things that we like to do. Oh, God, just please forgive me for everything I've done or said wrong today. No. He said, God, I said thus and so to this person, and it was wrong. This act that I did the other day did not correspond with your word. You might not do that with humanity, and I advise you not to do that. But you need to do that with God. You need to do Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.